Storytime with Andy and Amanda. Right, Amanda, what are we doing today? We're doing story time, and I think it's episode 13. Yeah, you remembered this time. That's impressive. Honestly, people are wondering. You are. People have tuned to the podcast <laughs> recently. She knows she gets her numbers mixed up on this one after a while. So I'm Andy N. I'm Amanda Nicholson. What is story time, Amanda? It's just a podcast that's quite relaxing. They either read stories or poems or other spoken word. Yeah, and we have a special guest as well, don't we, today as well? Yeah. Would you like to introduce our special guest? Yeah, we've got Michael Burton. Okay, Michael. No man just get, not get, just said your name. You want to tell us a little bit about yourself <laughs> and give us your first piece today, right? Yeah, hi everyone, and uh, thanks for having me on. Um, so I'm Michael Burton. I'm originally from from Bakeup in Lancashire, uh, living in Manchester now. Um, I write poetry and I perform around Manchester. I'm also, I also perform as not another poet who's in a in a band called New Age of Decay. Um, so I thought I'd I'd read you one of our uh, one of my poems slash lyrics to a song called uh, "The Year When It All Collapsed." Um, so not very Christmassy, but perhaps a new year slant on the new year. Anyway, so the year when it all collapsed. Bring me the head of the last free thinker, the hands of the last artisan. Bring me the tongue of the last folk singer before they brought in the ban. Bring me grass from the last rose garden, glass smashed from the last bomb blast. Bring me a slice of the last sponge cake, the last to be baked from scratch. Bring me them all and in mint condition, preserved and neatly wrapped. Together they'll make the grand exhibition of the year when it all collapsed. The year when it all collapsed. The year when it all collapsed. Bring me the stub of the last cigarette ever to be stamped down flat. Bring me a still of the last pirouette to land on a gymnast mat. Bring me the last ever supermarket item ever to be bought in cash. Bring me a tear off the last banknote ever to be secretly stashed. Bring me case papers from the last lawsuit, a screenshot of the last e-map. What better way to pay tribute to the year when it all collapsed? The year when it all collapsed. The year when it all collapsed. Bring me a sock off the last known hike or a shoe from the last tap dance. Bring me the gloves of the last pro biker to come last in the Tour de France. Bring me a page from the last book wrote upon mag from the last sperm bank. Bring me the mast of the last sailboat before the rest soon sank. Bring me the last wristband from an all-night rave, the chunk of cheese from the last mouse trap. We must stock them all if we're ever to save the year when it all collapsed. The year when it all collapsed. The year when it all collapsed. Excellent stuff. Amanda, I'll let you comment first, there. Yeah, that feels a bit prophetic. I'm not, I can't say the word. <laughs> <laughs> no, no, it's... It feels like a look into the future, anyway. Oh, yeah. I I plan as I said old Michael before, obviously people wondering he was on my spoken label podcast earlier on today. And I was I actually played that one back actually before. So yeah, the it's a really powerful piece and the use of the repetitions really, really works really well there. I think as on music as well as just doing it spoken like that, 
What do you think, Mike? Does it feel different to you, Michael, doing it that way, like around the music? Because he's you've done it more as a music piece before. Um, yeah, that that one does because it's yeah, it's very yeah, it's kind of very rhythmic. I suppose it works well with music, but it's um, and yeah, when you're, I always find when you're performing it, performing anything to music, you actually feel a bit more free. I think because you sort of. If you well, let's say if you forget the words or if you mess things up, the music's still there <laughs> to back you up. But when yeah. you're when you're performing uh, in front of an audience that's completely <laughs> silent, staring at you, it's more um, a bit more in. I find it a little bit more stressful. But yeah, both good. I can relate to that completely. <laughs> but mm-hmm. times I've been with bands and I've stood there thinking, "Oh, what's the next stanza? What's the next stanza?" <laughs> <laughs> so yeah, I've done that before. Okay. Well, we've got um, an exclusive now to start at me and the man dropped in. We're doing a duet. Michael's not heard this one either. So, no, so this really right. is exclusive. Yeah. This one's going to be happening to get rid of our night of speakeasy in December, which I know Michael sadly can't make. So he's going to miss miss Amanda's free cakes anyway. And that's for sure of it as well. So, more for me. <laughs> <laughs> Amanda, do you want to tell people where this piece came it's one of the pieces we wrote in Blackpool. Like most people just go to Blackpool and just get drunk, but we just went into Yeats's and started writing pieces of flash fiction. Yeah, we did we did there three nights in the drop Michael we were and this is one of the pieces that came from it. So uh, well, it's got nice. a it's got a working title, this one. It may change yet. Amanda, what's the working title? Certain Christmas. That gives you a clue what's coming here, Michael. Okay. Right. Why Father Christmas rang up Satan and asked him to cover for him that Christmas, nobody knew. Although it was rumoured, he already asked the Easter Bunny, Sandman and the Tooth Fairy. They all had different excuses why they couldn't do it. However, Satan had always wanted to do it and answered with a devilish glint in his eyes. Sure, what could go wrong? He figured because his name was already an anagram of Santa, no one would mind too much. After all, he was practically Santa for dyslexics. At the first home he visited, the four-year-old boy who was delivering presents to woke up and screamed when he saw Satan hanging a stocking at the end of his bed. Things didn't get any better by the time he reached the third house, and three armed police awaited him and the reindeer in the garden. Oh, shit, he said to Rudolph. Rudolph, who hated swearing, tried to cover his ears with his hoofs and fell from the roof. Until then, nobody had ever heard a reindeer scream, but it wasn't a pleasant sound. The other reindeer looked at him, stunned before Dasher jumped to the floor. He's dead, he proclaimed after a few seconds. Then began the strange ritual that Santa's reindeers always performed whenever they lost one of their own. So while Satan was trying to rally the remaining reindeer to help him escape, they were too busy chanting something in reindeerish, which was sometimes referred to as radish, while they marched around Rudolph's corpse throwing pieces of tinsel at him. The marksmen were left there stunned and ran through to their headquarters to relay what they were witnessing. Santa ran off, Satan ran off on his own, giving up on getting help with his escape. Just when the Sky News cameraman thought things couldn't get any weirder, Rudolph sprang up and looked straight into the camera. He's alive, one of the crews exclaimed. Do you have a quote for us? Yes, Rudolph said. I just want to say, next year, I'm going to Blackpool. 
Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> it kind of sums up our weird sense of humour, that Michael really, doesn't it? <laughs> <laughs> I only great. had it's one great. drink that night. <laughs> I like the way it sounds like a children's story, but obviously not really a children's story, but it's... Uh... Not unless you want to traumatise children. <laughs> <laughs> this is actually going to go over to a radio programme soon, and I'm ready to think what they're going to say to this one. So. Yeah, we've got to cut the swear word out for that. <laughs> <laughs> That's all I'm going to say with that song. Anyway, Michael, over to you, mate, for the piece number two. Uh, okay. Um, thank you. So, um, yeah, I, I think I'll, I'll read another for the new edge decay um <clears throat> so this one's called uh this city um and maybe it's similar theme to the last one um this city this city will not sleep till its outstretched fingers meet till towers drown its cliff tops and the light stamps out the darkness of the farmyards in retreat. This city will not sleep till its borders skirt the seas, till its net is the only intersect connecting every street. This city will not sleep till forests free its trees, till fountains drip the rivers dry, till savannas swell concrete. This city will not sleep till breath bleeds black the sky, Till it, the only star to shine, sits crystal and complete. This city will not sleep, till it beats from every heart, till it pounds out to planets, ten galaxies apart. This city will not sleep, till we, its sprawling fleet, thunderously heat the heels of our charging, marching feet. This city will not sleep, no, this city will not sleep. Oh, fantastic. Fantastic again, yeah. Amanda, I'll let you take, let you comment on that one first again. Yeah, that had a really good rhythm to it. Yeah, you could see, I could see the music that walks off, and that's another one I knew from before, like, straight away, so yeah. Mm. Yeah, did you have a, a specific city in mind when you wrote that piece, or did you leave it a bit ambiguous? Yeah, yeah, definitely. I, had, I was definitely had Beijing in mind, a huge place, and 20 million, <laughs> you know, at least 20 million people live there, and it's every year it seems to get busier and busier and bigger and bigger and uh i suppose it works for any big city where you sort of everyone's moving there and you know it's just expanding and expanding yeah it's fantastic yeah i know obviously china's got that population crisis really hasn't it so yeah mm. yeah i could see the business and the noise in that piece all along there excellent stuff mate okay mrs nicholson my short solo first solo piece in the month Okay, so I'm going to do a piece of flash fiction called Bob the Reindeer. I thought it was strange when you said, open that box first, the one with the air rolls in. But nothing prepared me for looking after a reindeer. I had asked for a kitten, but you said this would be better. First, I had to name him. So instead of obvious names like Rudolph or Dasher, I went with Bob. I think he liked it. We'd go to the park together and he spent so much time playing with dogs. I'm sure he thought he was a dog. We went for long walks in the countryside. And when I was working from home, he always made honking sounds at the postman. So I never missed an important parcel. After a while, even I forgot Bob was a reindeer. But almost a year to the day you give him to me, he went missing. I thought it was unusual because I was cutting up carrots in the kitchen and he wasn't there. Bob loved carrots. I looked everywhere in the garden and all over the house. 
including all the bedrooms, even though Bob was a good reindeer and knew never to go into the bedrooms. I roamed the street shouting, Bob, Bob, until I almost lost my voice and everyone looked at me like I was strange. The only sighting was from the neighbours who had clearly drunk too much eggnog. They reckoned they saw a fat man in a red suit leading Bob away. I didn't believe them until I saw on the news someone had recorded Santa and his reindeer in the sky. Everyone said the lead reindeer was Rudolph, but I exclaimed, that's not Rudolph, that's our Bob. <laughs> <laughs> oh, excellent. Amanda. Okay, Amanda, where did that piece come from? I think it was one of the workshops that you used to run online. Oh, I remember them. So. Oh, excellent stuff. <laughs> Okay, uh, I'm going to give you both a, a serious poem now, actually. I don't tend to really write poetry nowadays, and I think Michael heard me do an angry ranting one last month, like, the other week at Speakeasy, which is very rare for me. So, But I think I'm going to do that one again, actually. So would you like to hear that one again, Amanda? We can then plug, up, plug your book then. Yeah. Okay, this one is on, Amanda, what's your book called? The Twelve Deaths of Father Christmas. Not that book. You have two books. <laughs> well, I've got so many books, you've got to know it down. <laughs> oh, I know that. The title oh, okay. book is called Nobody Left Behind. I'm trying to find the piece at the minute as well. I've given away what I'm reading next as well, now, haven't I? <laughs> oh, oh, well, these things happen. This and this is my my piece in that book, and Michael's heard this one last month, so he's going to hear it again. So, <laughs> there you go. Um, Mike, you're going to hear the, the long version there, Michael, because it got a bit long-winded over at Speakeasy at the other week. So this yeah. one touches on a lot of poverty where I grew up in in the early 80s when my dad was laid out of work. So and this is called Everything in the Middle. You understand poverty all too well when your father got told back in 1982 his job at GEC in Traffic Park would be moved to London. And he led a walkout Von Len leaking the story to the press, refusing to spend a month down south teaching somebody else's job. You understand poverty all too well, when he then spent the next 18 months out of work and struggled over two Christmases with three young children, not sure where his next penny was going to come from as he got more and more worried about how they're going to survive. You understand poverty all too well with worn out shoes and outgrown pants and the relief in his face he got a new job in 1984, only for his relief to change stress overnight on this morning. And that started doing overtime just to ensure he could afford to pay all his bills in time. You understand poverty all too well nearly 40 years later, when after your pay was frozen for years, you given notice your job was going and told it was a call centre or nothing, and left there repeating your father with a new job and extra hours just to keep going. You understand poverty all too well, whether in 1982 or 2022, and see the similarities between the times of constant bill rise and strike threats and the real fear of a return to that winter in 1978, when you had repeated strikes and no end to the sight of misery. You understand poverty all too well with train strikes and Royal Mail, whose managers are threatened to reportedly force a staff into a zero-hours contract, murdering everything that went on before and a government that seems determined to bring the country to its knees. You understand poverty of your lifetime and your father's, and the pattern that crawls its way over our very existences, whipping our feet from underneath ourselves, making us realise things aren't that different from Victorian times again into the 21st century, and everything 
in the middle. Right. <laughs> it's really puffed out now, so. Okay, on to the last round of it now. Michael, would you like to give us your third piece, mate? Yeah, thanks, Annie. I really enjoyed that as well. It's great. Uh, Cheers, mate. Um, well, on the on the earlier podcast, um, I shared with you one of the poems that's going to be also published in that um, collection, so maybe I can oh, please. share the sex, share the other one now. Um, please. So, um, yeah, this one's called um, To Survive the Crisis. Um, so I, I wrote, so as we've already said, the, the anthology is about the cost of living crisis. And um, I was reading a lot of articles about um, what what journalists say we should do to to cut down and sort of get through the crisis, the cost of living crisis. Um, although I suspect not many of them really need to make the same sacrifices that uh, their readers need to. So it's called To Survive the Crisis. All you've got to do is splurge a little less, graft a little more, consolidate your debts, smoke, roll ups, drink Asda brand rum, cut out all things marked frivolous and fun, ditch your Netflix, your Prime, your iTunes, delay your nights out till early next June, reduce your gas and electric use, your want to be warm is no good excuse. Sell the books you bought and read them online. The bus station in town now has free Wi-Fi. Replace with haste your taste for lattes. From now on, no breaks from Black Nest Cafe. It is all, in fact, just as simple as that. The courage, the patience is all that you lack. Learn from the man in the flat next to yours, grateful for the scraps he can barely afford, or the mother you walk past almost every day, offering herself for some overtime pay. It's time for you now to follow their lead, forget all your talk of the corporate class greed. There's enough to get by if you just sacrifice all that you have that comes with a price. Life, after all, has its booms and its busts. Just make do with less and don't make a fuss. Fantastic. Oh, wow. Amanda, come on, tell us what you've got that one first before I say anything. Yeah, well, I remember hearing you read that at Speakeasy. And those money-making lists or like money-saving lists just really wind me up. <laughs> <laughs> no, excellent, excellent piece, Mike. Really, really good stuff, that one, mate, so... Okay, uh, we'll move on to the last piece. And my last piece now, and I'm going to do a bit of flash fiction now, which Michael again, unfortunately, has heard. But Red this Spirit, one, yeah. this one is, it's the way it's felt this today. Actually, this one actually is a kind of true story as well. It's not completely true, but it's close to it. So this is called pre-Christmas party. Five thousand pounds. The invoice said, the managing director's voice boomed out. £5,000. He repeated himself. You could hear him call out for the meeting room with the accounts manager. They billed us £5,000. What the hell for? Bob, the accounts manager, responded. Breakages, John carried on. Someone's thrashed a sweetie book for the access party. They billed us a ripped-up carpet. Someone had been sick all over the bathroom, the bed, smashed up both the TVs in the bedroom and the lounge. Do you want me to carry on? 
you could hear the rustling of some papers for a few seconds before Bob responded eventually. Jesus. That wasn't the worst, John paused. They broke into the drinks cabinet and broke the window on the bathroom with the bottle of single malt whiskey they stole. I thought you couldn't go to the Christmas do, Bob pondered. I left early, as Melanie wasn't well, John stopped speaking. It was too late to cancel the room, but it wasn't a massive amount, so I thought I'd let it go, thinking the cleaners would have the night off. Thinking I'd just have to drive in the following morning for the conference, only for this to happen. £5,000, Bob said in shock. I don't know if I can authorise that, even if it's for the conference the morning after. Does the security have any CCT footage of who stopped in there? They're still trying to identify them, as a young couple they told me. Did they provide a description or picture? The pictures are blurred, John carried on. They said one of them had a red polka dress on. Wasn't your daughter Kathy wearing one of those that night? Yes, she was. John paused, almost like he was realising something for the first time. And the other was a young gentleman with light brown hair. He kept crouching dirty jokes. I was wearing a teal jacket. You decided to leave early for the day and look for another job by the time they got to this point. Okay, Amanda, follow that. Okay. So I'm going to read a piece of flash fiction from the book that I can only promote around this time for you because it's called The Twelve Deaths of Father Christmas. You better tell Santa Michael. You better tell Michael. In... Yeah, sorry, for me. Yeah, tell Santa Michael Claus this book's dies right. in horrible ways. So again, it's not for mm. children. <laughs> and this is Santa Claus and Global Warming. Some people say Santa doesn't exist. Well, some people say the same about global warming. Santa never gave much credit to the news reports either. He was as shocked as anyone when the ice melted in Lapland and all the reindeers drowned. His screams were enough to give him nightmares. And the way Rudolph's eyes silently pleaded for him to help was enough to drive him to drink extra eggnog. That look stayed embedded in his mind, only fading when he was intoxicated. Mr Claus woke up from another nightmare, reliving those last moments when Rudolph sank to his watery death. The alarm was set to alert him and the elf said it was time to go. Regardless of the loss, the children would be waiting for their presents. Telling them all about global warming being to blame would only traumatise them too. He couldn't bring himself to tell them about the reindeer either. So he hired a team of llamas to drive his sleigh and to ensure Christmas would go ahead. When they were flying, the llamas, all juiced up on pixie dust, began to get hungry. Not content with carrots or mince pies left out by hopeful children, they chewed at the ropes instead. That's when Santa fell landing on, in a thawed out lake and meeting his untimely death. The end. Oh, you worry me. You really worry me. <laughs> oh, God. Honestly, Mike, because you post pulls that. How many years ago did you write that book, Amanda? About three or four years ago. That is like, every, you guarantee it, November, December every year into November. She has to read a piece after that book, she does. So, do you want to give Michael a few hints of some of the other titles then, just so he knows? Oh, I'm I've it. got um, Santa Claus and the Nursing Home. Santa Claus and the National Health Service. Uh, Santa Claus and the Cancelled Train. Wow, very intriguing, got to say. All of them. It's Those very Amanda, so that's all I'm going to say. So, <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Anyway, guys and girls, well, that's it for today, anyway, for story time. 
I want to thank Michael for being an excellent guest today, mate. It's been a pleasure, mate. So we put the good words both today. So <laughs> thank you very much for having me. Both of you. I, yeah. I want to thank Amanda as always. So right, Michael, hang around because obviously we do need to chat off Mike anyway. So well, thank you for pair of you and all been well. We shall see you all next month. Say bye, Amanda. Bye, everyone. Story time with Andy and Amanda.